Hello, and again, welcome to Bit Depth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is Katie Bramlett. How do we know each other? <laughs> well, I met you in my music theory and RL skills. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what year was that? 2013. Okay. I was going to guess 12. So I was pretty yeah, close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So in those classes uh, where we talked about fundamentals of music yeah. and basic ear training and stuff mm -hmm. like that, I guess you were a freshman. Mm -hmm. Okay. Didn't have <laughs> much college coming in yeah. um, at that point. Um, so yeah. And then was it a semester or two? Um, I don't remember how many semesters I we did, were together. Uh, I did all Theory one through four and okay. uh, all schools one through four and okay. piano one through four. So great. So then <laughs> must have been your whole freshman year. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do you do? Or out of the many things that you do, mm -hmm. which of these things or list all of them, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh well my day job, I guess, is uh, teaching at UCO mm -hmm. in Edmond, um, where I teach music theory one and two, uh, RL skills one and two, mm -hmm. and applied oboe. And then whatever other random thing comes up. Occasionally, yeah. <laughs> I've coached uh, chamber music groups. Um, you know, I serve on committees mm. uh, because <laughs> in the university, um, amongst faculty and staff, shared governance is a really important part of the way yeah. we do things. So we try to organize and as much as it can slow things down. <laughs> um, usually it's it's all for the best yeah. uh, to do that kind of work. And um, I've been serving on faculty senate for almost four years now mm -hmm. and I'm term limited at the end of this semester. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to take a break at that point. Um, but that's been really fulfilling work yeah. to get to meet faculty from other areas across campus yeah. and write proposals and resolutions mm -hmm. that, you know, <laughs> represent the faculty. Yeah, yeah. The uh, faculty association is the term they use for that. <laughs> so I do that and I've been the chair of a committee on that for mm -hmm. three years now. So that has taken yeah. some time. Um, what else do I do on campus? Um, obviously do office hours mm -hmm. and serve in that way to make sure that the students are getting what they need and, uh, play in a couple of chamber music groups with faculty yeah. members. Mm -hmm. And so, um, my work at UCO keeps me pretty busy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to teach private lessons outside of the university, mm -hmm. um, especially when I was working adjunct at yeah. UCO to supplement my income and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. I haven't been doing as much of that lately. Um, because, um, 2013 to 2017, I worked on and completed my doctorate yeah. in oboe mm -hmm. performance. And, um, so that took me out of the kind of teaching private lessons yeah. off campus. Um, and then after that, I had a sense that I had sort of worked myself to death. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I had been at that point I was, see, when I finished my doctorate, I was, um, how old? 34. Mm -hmm. And I had done nothing but work yeah. my entire life yeah. until that moment. And um, at that point, I had um, a full-time permanent position at UCO. Yeah. Um, so I knew that that wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And the doctorate was done. So my education, my formal <laughs> education essentially was finished. And um, I decided to strive for better what I have begun yeah. calling life work balance <laughs> instead yes. of work life balance. Cause I think that's backwards. Yeah. Um, and so in addition to doing all the music stuff at UCO that I do and, um, doing freelance performance off campus, mm -hmm. um, with ensembles like Tulsa symphony and the Tulsa opera and the ballet up there and mm -hmm. Columbus city Philharmonic <laughs> occasionally. And then whatever random mm -hmm. other kind of thing comes up. Um, I decided to, um, take up totally different activities, <laughs> um, like, uh, triathlon, yeah. um, which I had never really been an athletic person mm -hmm. before. And, um, after four years working on my doctorate of essentially sitting still <laughs> yeah. in the car, driving back and forth to classes yeah. between campuses, um, OU and UCO and um, sitting to practice and sitting to read and sitting to yeah. write and, mm -hmm. you know, um, sitting in rehearsals. And, <laughs> you know, I just um, 
I felt like I needed to move mm. yeah. <laughs> to feel healthy again and yeah. to get out of my head mm-hmm. because I'd been in my head all that time. And so um, May of 2017, when I finished my doctorate, uh, I think about a week, maybe two <laughs> after the semester, I just out of nowhere kind of decided yeah. to sign up for a triathlon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't run for longer than about 20 seconds without feeling like I was going to die. And I couldn't swim across a pool without Mm. gasping for air and choking on water. And Mm. I knew how to ride a bike, but I wouldn't say that I was like a great bike handler. Mm. Um, So signed up for the race and started training. Yeah. Um, And found Mm -hmm. a a free training plan online and um, just really started at zero. Yeah. Pretty much on all those things. And, um, so since then spring of 2017, um, running, um, and cycling and swimming have been a big part of my routine. Um, I've done, I don't know how many triathlons now (laughs) of varying distances and, um, I've done half marathon, a full marathon and training for my second. And I just really love to move. Yeah. Um, it <laughs> brings a lot of balance to my life and yeah. it gets me outside, which I love. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would rather be outside than anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so that has really brought me, um, again, a lot of joy and has, um, obviously helped me feel stronger mm-hmm. and more confident because I was a beginner at something for the yeah. first time in a long time. <laughs> and I got through that and um, I've met a lot of interesting people yeah. in the triathlon community around the city um, that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, so it got me out of the music yeah. bubble <laughs> and all that good stuff. So moving is really important. Um, and then over the past six months or so, I got back into a yoga routine, which I really like. Cool. And started climbing. Okay. Indoor climbing for the yeah. first time. Mm-hmm. So again, being a beginner at something. Um <laughs> And that was terrifying the first few times I did mm. it, but I'm getting better. <laughs> um, but it's just getting me to use my body in different ways yeah. to um, feel, you know, strong and flexible after all of the endurance yeah. sports <laughs> stuff that can really stiffen you up. But yeah. um, anyway, so that's what I do. Yeah. I'm probably forgetting some things. No, that's. Yeah, but uh, um, yeah. okay, so. I'll start with music mm-hmm. in the way that you outlined this. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, how did you first get started in music in general? Okay. <laughs> uh, my earliest memories are of me sitting at a piano, um, I think probably at three years old mm-hmm. or so, and just legs swinging at the piano bench and Mm. picking out, just kind of making up music on the piano (laughs) at that age and just feeling so fascinated with the sound and thinking to myself, I cannot wait until I know how to play this thing, like really do it, you know? And, um, like I said, that's one of my earliest memories. And so I just always gravitated toward sound and music in general. Um, I remember, again, being really young and watching the old-fashioned cartoons <laughs> with the nonstop orchestral music in the background yeah, yeah. and being really fascinated by that and thinking, that's what I want to do. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I want to play in an orchestra for cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was my first encounter with classical styles, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, in the house that I grew up in, I had... Um, my parents were kind of on opposing ends of, uh, of certain spectrums. Um, Mm -hmm. my mom, uh, is always has been, um, very devout Christian. Mm -hmm. And so she was always playing and singing Christian music, um, around the house and, um, uh, you know, like cassette tapes and that kind of thing. Sure. And then my dad on the other side, Mm -hmm. um, was not really religious at all. Mm. And as far as I can remember, and, um, he was really into like, uh, country music, blues, okay, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, and any kind of combination of those styles, yeah. um, uh, rock, 
those kinds of things. Mm. And so, um, one of his favorite artists to listen to is like Willie Nelson nice. and like, um, <laughs> the fabulous Thunderbirds mm. and BB King <laughs> and, you know, artists like that. Mm. Um, and then some jazz, sure. like big band type jazz. Cause his parents had been really into that stuff. So, <laughs> um, those were my musical styles that I listened to in the, in the home as a kid. Sure. Um, but when it came to me choosing my own kinds of music to listen yeah. to, um, we were restricted from listening to what was termed secular music. Sure. And um, so the choices were um, <laughs> Christian music, um, once I got a little bit older, uh, Christian music or classical music. Sure. <laughs> so um, I grew up in Sulphur, Oklahoma. Okay. And a uh, small town. This was before internet. People had internet. Mm -hmm. And so my um, access to music was pretty limited. And, uh, usually if I bought a recording, it was from the clearance bin <laughs> at Walmart <Yeah. laughs> in town. <laughs> and, um, so lucky for me, mm. usually the stuff that was in the clearance bin that nobody wanted was the <laughs> classical stuff. Yeah. Um, or like old BB King sure. recordings or something like that. So, um, so that, that, that was just the genre that I gravitated yeah. toward because I was allowed to listen to it. Yeah. And so it was familiar. And, um, so and when, little did your mom know that there's a whole <laughs> bunch of non-Christian things going on in the classical music. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, so when, um, I was old enough to, um, be in a music beyond general music class sure. in the fifth grade, we had this rotating class period mm -hmm. where we spent a few weeks, um, like a few weeks doing home ec, we yeah. called it then a few weeks doing, um, art and a few weeks doing choir and a few weeks doing mm. flutophone is what they <laughs> called it. Um, it's a little plastic flute. Yeah. Very much like a recorder. Sure. Um, so kind of an indestructible thing you can put in the dishwasher <laughs> if you needed to and, yeah. um, really cheap. And, um, I remember being so excited for that class Yeah, and, uh, I remember the first day we had class. This is one of my most vivid memories <laughs> and we learned, um, merrily we roll along. Yeah. So, um, and at that time that we had these accompaniments that we could play along with on cassette tapes. Yeah. And so the band director who taught this class taught us how to do the little tune, merrily we mm. roll along and he turns on the cassette tape and we start playing the yeah. tune along with the accompaniment and I was just overwhelmed yeah. with excitement and I remember trying not to cry in mm. class and of course everyone around me is like oh this is so boring this sure. is so stupid this melody is lame or whatever um but I was like I'm a musician now yeah you know <laughs> I've, I've made it and um so at the end of that class however many weeks it was um the band director gave us this aural aptitude test mm. where it was a series of tones. This is one higher or lower, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, took the test, scored really well on it. Mm. Um, so I've always been pretty good with pitch mm -hmm. and, um, he sent letters to all the parents of kids who scored really high and yeah. said, we encourage your child to be in band if they're interested. Sure. And, um, so of course got a letter to be in band <laughs> and, um, I told the band director, when he asked what I want to play, I said, mm. I don't care. <laughs> I just want to play. Sure. I, I'll play bass drum. I'll play trumpet. I'll play flute. I'll just whatever yeah. you want me to do, whatever you need, mm. basically. And um, so he said, okay, then if you don't really care what you play, mm -hmm. play the oboe. <laughs> Why don't you play the oboe? And uh, I said, okay, I can play the oboe. <laughs> but I had no idea what it was. Sure. <laughs> Never <laughs> heard of it in my life. And so, um, again, this was before internet. And, uh, so I went home to the encyclopedia on the shelf mm. and found the O volume, yeah. the O book, took it off the shelf, opened it up to the page that said oboe and saw this little picture, probably two by two inch <laughs> picture, black and white very little detail and, um, saw the picture of the oboe, read about it a little bit and thought, okay, sure. I sure. can do that. <laughs> and, um, so that's how I came to the oboe mm -hmm. and to really my, the beginning of my formal training yeah. in music. Mm -hmm. Um, around the same time, my grandmother taught me a little bit on piano because she's yeah. always been able to play, um, 
like church hymns on the piano mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So she was my first piano teacher, but then soon got me um, out, out of the house and um, taking piano lessons with yeah. someone in town, as we <laughs> called it. Um, so that was sixth grade is when I started yeah. doing all that and mm-hmm. been doing it ever since. Um, so through high school band, um, decided I wanted to do music mm-hmm. as a profession. That was the next question I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I remember it was after, well, it was on a, a, a tour with the Oklahoma Youth Symphony mm-hmm. when I was in high school. It was the summer between my 10th and 11th grade years, I think. And, um, we went to the British Isles and we played several concerts and spent some time in England and Scotland and Ireland and um, on that trip, I had some really meaningful musical experiences yeah. with, you know, people that I enjoyed playing with. And I thought, mm-hmm. this is, this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, it was just too amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember telling my mom the first time that I wanted to be a professional musician. Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> and I remember the look on her face. She looked at me wide eyed, her, her jaw dropped. She said, well, what are you going to do for a living? Yeah. You know, she was really concerned. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, I'll teach music. I'll play music. Sure. Like I'll do music. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, um, t- came time for college and decided to go into college as a music major. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's a whole story with all that. Um, but I started mm-hmm. as a music ed for a semester mm-hmm. and then, um, was, I don't know if it was just the transition from small hmm. town dairy farm, <laughs> you know, 4-H yeah. kid to um, being on campus at OU and the Pride marching band and all that. Yeah. It was just very overwhelming and I was not happy. Hmm. And um, so second semester, I thought maybe this is not what I should be doing hmm. and kind of lost my way for a little while hmm. and was undecided uh for one semester. And then I thought, well, maybe it's the environment that it's really not for me. Sure. And at that point, um, I, uh, had a boyfriend who was going to UCO. Okay. And I thought, well, you know, that seems like a nice place. I'll check it out, go mm-hmm. audition there. And so mm-hmm. at that point I transferred my sophomore year to UCO and, um, changed my major to music performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I was not going to be in marching band. <laughs> and I was informed that if I was not in marching band, I could not be a music ed major. Mm. And so I said, fine, I won't be a music ed major. <laughs> sure. Of course, I had experience with marching band in high school and then yeah. a little bit at OU, but, yeah. um, but I just, it wasn't for me. So yeah. from then on, all my degrees have been oboe performance. Mm-hmm. And along the way, I discovered that I really enjoy music theory talking about music theory, mm-hmm. teaching music theory and ear training. And, um, so kind of took any opportunity that I could with yeah. that, um, tutored a little bit in my undergrad and took some, uh, pedagogy of music theory mm-hmm. in my master's and then started teaching music theory professionally as mm-hmm. I was finishing up my master's, yeah. um, in Arizona. So, um, so that's that. <laughs> uh, and then after that, uh, came back to Oklahoma mm-hmm. after being at Arizona state for a couple of years and, um, got a job as an adjunct instructor at UCO mm-hmm. teaching ear training yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, music appreciation and those kinds of things. And then picked up music theory and oboe along the way. And yeah. then <laughs> that's how I am yeah. where I am. So, um, I mean, I guess there's, there's like a, like a weeding out process that happens through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you, you experience it, especially being at the front end of that. Um, so, uh, and then also that happens with, I think, especially even performance majors, mm-hmm. um, because I think it's, it's probably harder to be, to kind of come out of the other side of performance and still kind of, keep going Mm -hmm. unless you're the best of the best. Mm -hmm. So even through your bachelor's and then how do you decide to do your master's? How do you decide to Mm -hmm. get your doctorate in Mm -hmm. this? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, 
when I finished my undergrad, I didn't really see any other uh, possibilities or options or maybe mm. I didn't even really consider anything <laughs> but going into a master's program. Sure. Um, I guess because I'd always been told, like, if you want to do this mm -hmm. really seriously and professionally, you have to get at least the master's. Yeah. Um, at least, to, you know, play in an orchestra or, mm -hmm. you know, um, be... I don't know, a highly qualified, quote unquote, <laughs> um, uh, instructor kind of on one-on-one, -on -one, you know, private mm -hmm. lessons, that kind of thing. Um, so I just went straight into a master's mm -hmm. pretty much after I finished, um, the undergrad. Um, that was a very terrifying and difficult experience because mm -hmm. <laughs> I decided to go out of state yeah. for that. And, um, I, <clears throat> I didn't have much mm. and I had checked out a few different teachers around the country, mm -hmm. um, and settled on, I say settled, like it's wasn't the best choice. <laughs> I I chose yeah. what, where I thought was the best choice for mm -hmm. me. Um, and it was based on a lesson that I had with Martin sharing at Arizona state. Mm. And, um, he just, was very blunt with me and mm -hmm. didn't sugarcoat anything. Sure. And I thought this is really what I need yeah. because my undergraduate instruction on oboe had been a little bit scattered mm. for various reasons. And, um, I really needed some structure Yeah, and I thought, well, he seems to be really methodical and, um, really strict and it'll kind of kind of clean up the mess that I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so I only had enough money to, uh, pay one application fee. Hmm. Um, and so <laughs> after a lesson with him, um, he, I think I, maybe I sent a CD as my audition mm -hmm. and, uh, got a letter that was like, you know, you're accepted into the studio, but we don't have any scholarship money for you. So mm -hmm. if, you know, finances are a big <laughs> deal, maybe you should consider other options, that wow. sort of thing. And so, I thought, well, I'm, I just got in, you know, yeah. like just barely got in. Yeah. And, um, he was probably hoping that I went somewhere else. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. Um, so, but I responded and I said, I only had enough money for one application fee and mm -hmm. I applied for Arizona state. So yeah. I'll see you in the fall <laughs> Yeah. basically. And, um, my, uh, boyfriend and I moved to the Phoenix area mm -hmm. in, in Arizona with, a tiny U-Haul yeah. trailer mm -hmm. and basically enough money to get there and stay in a hotel for a couple of days yeah. to try to figure out what we were doing. <laughs> um, it was really risky um, because neither one of us had families that could just, you know, send us a bunch of money sure. to get us out of trouble if yeah. we ended up, you know, <laughs> without a place to stay or whatever. Um, so it was, um, it was a great experience in that it taught us really how to survive mm -hmm. in a, a whole new place. And, um, yeah, we had a lot of close calls. We visited a food bank or two to get mm -hmm. by. And, um, you know, once we kind of got rolling, we found some employment. I started teaching lessons Yeah, and, um, so, I'm rambling now. I don't know how I got out of this. <laughs> no, it's okay. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's how I got to Arizona yeah. was I, I just, I felt like I really needed to study with that guy and, um, that that's where I needed to be. And it was very difficult. Um, I had a lot of really difficult lessons, mm -hmm. um, with, uh, Martin, um, and quickly discovered all of my deficiencies in my playing. Mm -hmm. And because being an oboist was, and a musician was just like the only identity I had, you know, <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of, uh, kind of internal crises over all that, mm. um, but made it through <laughs> and, um, <laughs> survived all of that. Yeah. And, um, so at that point, once I finished that, we kind of hung around Tempe for a little while and tried to decide what to do. And I was kind of homesick. Mm. This was, um, too late 2009 at this point. Mm. And, um, I kind of wanted to move back home to Oklahoma yeah. to be <laughs> closer to my family. And I just didn't ever really feel at home in yeah. Phoenix. Um, it's kind of a big, sterile, <laughs> impersonal city. Sorry, any friends who are listening to this who love Phoenix. Um, but to me, that's how it felt. Yeah. So I wanted to go, I wanted to go home and um, 
the significant other decided that, okay, he would, he would agree to do that. And so we came back in March of 2010. Mm. And at that time I applied for the adjunct pool at UCO mm. to just take whatever they yeah. needed to be done and yeah. I would do it. And, um, got my foot in the door and did that for, mm. I guess, three years. And then it looked like what I was doing at UCO might turn into the full-time permanent yeah. thing. And I knew that if I had any chance of getting that, <laughs> I was going to have to get a doctorate. Yeah. So that's, you know, there was what I finished my master's in 2008, mm-hmm. late 2008. So close to five years yeah. between the master's and doctorate. Mm-hmm. And once it looked like professionally, like that was the next step, mm-hmm. I started the doctorate sure. at OU <laughs> and, um, had basically a year done at OU on the doctorate when mm. I applied for the full-time position at UCO. So yeah. I could say I'm working on it, mm-hmm. projected, finished date <laughs> is this time. And, yeah. um, so, um, luckily I already had some experience there. The mm-hmm. other faculty knew me and they knew that whatever I start, I'm going to finish. <laughs> so, um, there was no concern about sure. me flaking on sure. that. Um, and I just kept my head down for four years and, and finished it. And then at that point was eligible really yeah. to stay on full time. And, yeah. um, so I wasn't sure at first if I was going to get the doctorate, mm-hmm. that was the one that was the question mark for yeah. me. Um, because it's just, it's such a, an investment, yeah. you know, and if you're not quite sure it's going to pay off or if you know, you don't want to be involved in academia mm-hmm. or really go in that direction, yeah. you don't really have to have it unless you yeah. just really want it. And that's yeah. great too, you know? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I remember when I was applying for that permanent position, um, whoever got it was mm-hmm. basically going to have the job that I had been doing for the last three years. Sure. And mm-hmm. so I thought if I don't get this job, I guess I'll quit working on the doctorate because mm-hmm. I'm suddenly going to have no income, um, <laughs> yeah. or very, you know, a lot less income. And, um, I, what do I do at that point? Cause I want to be in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, what are my professional opportunities <laughs> then, yeah. you know, uh, sure. Freelance teach lessons, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I just go a totally different direction and yeah. like sell my car and <laughs> get a job at Starbucks down the street and just walk back and forth to work and then like reevaluate everything. Mm-hmm. And so that was very stressful. Yeah. Um, but it all worked out. <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> um, I, as I guess I should ask every person with a doctorate, what, what was your dissertation over? <laughs> okay. Um, it. You don't have to explain the entire sh- thing because sh- that would be a whole other. <laughs> <laughs> the title is long enough. Yes. Everyone will be asleep by the time I get through the title. Um, I decided to write about um, the elements of English pastoralism hmm. in Ray Fawn Williams's Concerto for Oboe and Strings. Okay. So... Um, short version is everyone kind of throws around the term pastoral mm-hmm. in, you know, certain situations we're talking about music. Yeah. Um, and everyone kind of nods and goes, Oh yes, it's, yes, it's pastoral. I see, I hear it. I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But if you ask anyone to really dig much deeper than yeah. that, it's like, <laughs> uh, well, what makes it pastoral? Can you yeah. tell me? Um, and so the oboe is often associated with pastoral hmm. music. Yeah. Um, and it appears in, music that people would call pastoral. And so, um, I thought I really want to dig into this and figure out Mm -hmm. what is it that makes people think pastoral when they hear something specific in a piece (laughs) of music. Um, and why is the oboe associated with that? Mm -hmm. And then specifically, um, I looked at the style of English pastoralism, Mm -hmm. which is its own flavor (laughs) of pastoralism. Um, so anyway, did kind of a study of all that and picked apart Mm -hmm. the score and yeah, you know, so you can find it online. Yeah. yeah. Uh, (laughs) I should ask why, but I need to get onto the other questions. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm too long winded, I guess. No, no, it's okay. Um, (laughs) But it's nice because you have like a a through line with everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess broader, more philosophical questions about it. Um, What, makes the oboe important to you and I mean obviously you you didn't exactly choose it it Mm -hmm. kind of happened upon you Mm -hmm. but you also stuck with it Mm -hmm. so why oboe then okay (laughs) um that's a great question um because as you know not many people play it yeah (laughs) um and the reason is 
because <laughs> there are many challenges yeah. and um, many things can go wrong when learning <laughs> how to play the instrument. Um, so much can go wrong. Um, so yes, the oboe kind of found me <laughs> for lack of a better way to explain it. Um, and the reason that I stuck with it is because as I said earlier, <laughs> I'm not really one to quit things. Sure. And, um, I love music so much and talking about music and thinking about it and playing it and all those <laughs> kinds of things that it just became my tool mm -hmm. for yeah. being a musician. Mm -hmm. And, um, as difficult as it has been and still is to <laughs> play, um, it's just, it's like a personality trait, yeah. um, that led me to stick with it. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just, I have not. I'm just not going to give up. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like every day is, um, it's kind of a fight with it. Sure. <laughs> um, but it's maybe turned into less struggle on a regular basis <laughs> over the years. Um, cause I've been playing for how many years now? I tried to think of this <laughs> earlier today when I was talking to someone, um, 25 years. Sure. So <clears throat> I think maybe I, I'm figuring it out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's just personality. The, the kind of personality that does best with oboe is, you know, do you like challenge? <laughs> um, are you um, really good at problem solving? Mm -hmm. Are you really good at um, managing yourself in kind of a survival mode? <laughs> um, are, you, uh, are you good with your hands? Yeah. You know, crafting because yeah. we have to learn to make our own reeds, yeah. which means you have to you know, learn how to sharpen a knife mm -hmm. and, you know, <laughs> do, it's kind of like woodworking yeah. Yeah, really a in a lot of, of ways. Extra musical skills that exactly. don't really have anything to do with music at all. <laughs> right. Right. But that can make or break your success yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, I guess just being stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> is the short version of the story. Sure. <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing about the oboe? Mm, well, when I first started playing it, when I was in middle school, my favorite thing about it was that it was unique, mm -hmm. is unique. Um, people don't really know what it is. It's, <laughs> um, I'm not like lost in a sea of clarinet players sure. or, you know. Yeah. Um, so that Everyone was. needs an oboe player. Right, right. <laughs> so it was, it was like, it felt cool at yeah. first. And like the nerdiest sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's what I liked about it originally. What do I like about it now? Um, I don't even <laughs> really know what to say. Um, with my work at UCO, I'm often teaching people who are picking up the oboe for the first time mm -hmm. because maybe they've always been a saxophone player or clarinet mm -hmm. player or something like that. And they're really interested. They yeah. want to learn to double for, yeah. you know, professional reasons or just mm -hmm. out of curiosity. Yeah. And so I've got a lot of really enthusiastic yeah. students right now who play mm -hmm. at kind of a beginning to intermediate level mm -hmm. and just being able to share with them all the quirks yeah. and <laughs> the tricks and the secrets and the, you know, mm. common problems and how to survive this or that. Um, that's really fun. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I guess what I hate about it is what I also kind of like about it, which yeah. is the challenge. Mm -hmm. I just, I really like to struggle and suffer <laughs> for some reason. It's the triathlons and the marathons guess, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's definitely a love hate. Sure. <laughs> um, I think that completely makes sense, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're a composer. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. I don't know. Some of these questions are like in a way answered in the rest of the things you've been saying. So okay. let me find the one <laughs> that has been... Um, so it's, it's, I'm struggling with it because the, a lot of the questions that I ask kind of apply more to a contemporary setting. Okay. Um, and classical music has kind of a, a, a sense of removal, uh, in a way from the composer and the performer mm -hmm. and the instruction mm -hmm. is all kind of 
a separate thing. And so one question that I always ask is, do you separate art from the artist? Um, but it feels as though in classical music, they're pretty separate anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But still, do you separate art from the artist? <laughs> um, what can I say about that? <laughs> um, because there's the prime example of Wagner and such, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So maybe in that sense, no. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure how to answer that question. Um, I mean, if you think about it, each work of art really has its own unique mm-hmm. traits, right? That yeah. could only come from that artist's experience yeah. and thoughts mm-hmm. and talents. And um, so in a way, it is um, a reflection of that person. Um, that's if they're creating the art for their own self-expression mm-hmm. or the art for art's sake. Yeah. Right. Just because I have this feeling and this thought and this idea and I want to, I want to share it. I want to get it mm. out of my head yeah. um, or my gut um, and out there. And then mm. whatever happens, happens just because I'm like yeah. compelled to create this thing. <laughs> yeah. um, so in that, in that case, it's, I think difficult to separate the art from the artist. Yeah. Um, if one is creating art for more um, like commercial reasons, sure. then it serves a different purpose. Mm-hmm. And so I could certainly create mm-hmm. a, a piece of music or give a performance yeah. that I don't personally identify with in really mm-hmm. any way. Yeah. Um, but it's mm-hmm. because it's something that someone else wants yeah. or it's something that I want to sell. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, and while there may be things that I like about it, mm-hmm. um, it might not feel like me. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe <laughs> it depends on the intention. Yeah. <laughs> which the art was created. Yeah. No, never really no. thought about that. Too much. <laughs> um, and then what's so two more in this realm and then we'll mm-hmm. get into the, uh, what's something that people don't normally know about you? <laughs> um, people don't normally know about me. Um, gosh, <laughs> I know myself so well, it's hard to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm very introverted, hmm. um, which is hard to believe for someone who stands in front of people <laughs> and talks a lot. Yeah. Um, I, it's very, it takes a lot of energy for me to interact with people. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not all bad. Right. Um, but it, it is very exhausting. Yeah. So, um, so I need a lot of time to Mm -hmm. myself, um, just to kind of zone out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, which I think maybe why I like the triathlon Mm. stuff. Sure. Because all, a lot of that is done Mm -hmm. alone, you know, um, the training and, like you can't exactly do a marathon with someone because right. everyone's pace is different. That's right, right. Mm-hmm. And and I I don't typically um, do my own training in groups. You mm-hmm. know, like some people do like training groups yeah. through various organizations and that kind of thing. But I just really like to get out and run by myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy swimming laps for the mm-hmm. reason that like. I'm, my face is in the water and like no one can talk to me. I can't talk to anyone <laughs> sure. and it's very rhythmic in nature. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I really do like my alone time in my space. Sure. Um, and I've gone through periods in my life when I did have a lot of social anxiety mm. and, um, that it could actually t- like trigger migraines mm. for me to have to get out and meet new people <laughs> and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, I'm not in that place right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I, I really need to be by myself a lot. Sure. So, mm-hmm. and I don't really like to 
be the center of attention <laughs> in a group, which again is funny yeah. for someone who stands in front of groups <laughs> right, of people right. and talks a lot. Um, so, uh, as long as I'm talking about something yeah. in a group other than me, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. No, no. <laughs> but if I'm in a, even like at a, a get together with my friends, if mm-hmm. too much of the attention is turned on me all of a sudden mm-hmm. and it, I just, I feel like on the spot, yeah. I, my face will turn bright red and I like get really hot. I'm like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's sure. talk about someone else or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like this weird combination mm-hmm. of <laughs> things where I'm no, like, I think and that, as a performer, always in front of people, sure, and, sure. you know, but at the same time, like don't get too close. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's, there's always a balance in that. And I mm-hmm. think a, a lot of like notable performers and artists, uh, have, that similar thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then what advice do you have for musicians starting out? Mm. Um, this is a common bit of advice that, um, the faculty at UCO give to students who are thinking about becoming musicians. And it's, if you cannot imagine yourself doing anything else in the world, mm-hmm. then this is what you should be doing. Yeah. If you think you would be happy, doing anything else Mm -hmm. and still kind of doing music for fun on the side, Mm -hmm. then consider that other thing Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) because it's so hard. It's so hard. There's (laughs) so much pressure and, um, it, it's, it's not the most lucrative thing to do. (laughs) So making a living can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and you just got to be hustling all the time, yeah. you know, <laughs> to, to make ends meet, um, in a lot of cases. So, um, so that's really important. Um, it's just gotta be that thing that you're compelled to do. There's just yeah. like, what else can I do? I can't do anything else but music. <laughs> um, then great. You're in the right place. Yeah. Um, beyond that, um, this is all assuming that, you know, you're practicing and learning your fundamentals and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are just like mediocre at what you do, mm-hmm. whether it's performing or teaching or whatever, um, the rest of it that leads to success mm-hmm. is, you know, are you dependable? Do you show up on time? Mm-hmm. Um, are you prepared? Mm-hmm. Are you nice? Yeah. Right. Like, are you easy to work with? Are you good at collaborating with people? Yeah. Um, if you're just like nice and show up on time and you're prepared, mm-hmm. like you're going to be okay. Yeah. You're going to make it, <laughs> but you'd be surprised how many people can do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's really basic stuff, you know, yeah. practice, show up on time, be nice, be prepared. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> those are the biggest pieces of advice that I can give. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Changing gears, and there's no good way to transition into it. Okay. <laughs> what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Okay. <laughs> I need to drink a tea for the moment. Right. Mm. So, um, if I were forced to choose <laughs> a religious path or philosophical path, um, I would choose Buddhism. Cool. So that's the, the way of thinking Mm -hmm. that most resonates with me. Um, and I didn't discover it until I was, what age I must've been 24 Hmm. or so. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd heard of it before, but never really looked into it, never really thought about it. Mm -hmm. Um, as I said earlier, I was raised, um, Christian and, um, I was raised most of my life in, uh, one of those, um, charismatic type churches, (laughs) not Pentecostal, but a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember once I got to around like 13 or so, Mm. I, I just, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me sure. and, um, went through a, a period in my life when I was trying to figure all that out. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, 13, what do you know? At 13, <laughs> right. Um, I knew that I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it didn't feel good to me. Yeah. Um, and over the years, um, 
until I got closer to graduating high school and becoming an adult, I got further and further away from all that. Yeah. But I was always still uh, required to attend church <laughs> yeah. uh, multiple times a week. And um, so I did a lot of just kind of observing mm-hmm. uh, of all of that. And um, it, I didn't decide that I liked it <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through... My undergrad, I would say that I didn't really have any sort of religious or spiritual mm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really just survival yeah. <laughs> I think, at that point. Um, I went through a lot um, uh, all through my childhood. My my dad was a drug addict, heroin mm. addict, and meth addict, and general abuser of any sort of substance mm. he could consume. And so that caused a lot of issues, yeah. you know. Um, so it's, that just kind of makes things dark. (laughs) So sometimes it's hard to think about like self-actualization and fulfillment and uh, for some people, I mean, some people obviously are drawn closer to spiritual life in those situations. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was just like, I just got to survive. Um, and then of course with the, the conflict that I felt with the religious setting that I was raised in at Mm -hmm. church, um, I just kind of wanted to be away from yeah. Anything of that <laughs> nature. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I just, I don't want, it doesn't feel right. It's icky. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, th- through undergrad, um, didn't really, uh, follow anything or seek it out at all. Um, other things that made life difficult, which again, put me in survival mode is that I was, um, like married and divorced 20. Mm. I was married 21. I was divorced. Mm. That was a very traumatic experience. And, um, so again, just kind of like, I've just got like, where am I going to live? And you know, how am I going to pay my rent and all that kind of thing. Um, and then of course, through all the difficulty that came with moving to Arizona, Mm -hmm. because when I was 24, when I discovered Buddhism, um, I, you know, was far away from home and things were really difficult and all that. And I was going through a lot of mental illness Mm. issues, anxiety and depression and, um, the identity crisis I was talking about Mm -hmm. earlier with, you know, feeling like I wasn't good at my instrument and Mm. like all the growing pains that came along with that. And, um, been through a lot of counseling, which maybe was my, um, it kind of took the place of sure. some religious yeah, practices yeah. and, you know, mm. seeking out that kind of help. So, um, but I remember I was just, I don't know what I was doing, just kind of Googling around or something. <laughs> and I stumbled upon a, uh, an excerpt of a lecture by Alan Watts. Who okay. You probably know. Mm. Have you heard of Alan Watts before? Rings a bell. East West philosopher, sure. really mm-hmm. like, um, famous and popular in kind of the mid 20th mm-hmm. century yeah. and, um, really fun to listen to. If you haven't listened to his stuff, mm-hmm. you should listen to it. Um, and he was just like talking all this sense, you know, yeah. um, but talking about Eastern philosophy mm-hmm. in a way that would make sense to Westerners, yeah, Br- yeah. British guy. Mm-hmm. So understands yeah. Western culture. Um, and he was at one point Episcopalian minister mm-hmm. and, um, eventually left the clergy, I guess, and dedicated his work to, um, as I said, presenting Eastern thought kind of in a Western package Mm -hmm. so that people could understand it. Um, and so I stumbled upon that and he was talking about like Hinduism and Buddhism and all that kind of thing. And, um, I started looking into Buddhism because as I said, he was making a lot of sense to me, this Alan Watts guy. (laughs) And, um, the reason I was I, that I gravitated toward it was because the first kind of um, tenet of <laughs> Buddhism is life is pain and suffering. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, finally, someone's acknowledging yeah. <laughs> this, you know, instead of like telling us to run away from it all the time. Sure. It's just like, this is what it is, yeah. you know? And so I just, I remember like the first time I heard that, I just felt like it's weight lifted. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, now I can feel okay with yeah. like the fact that everything sucks all the <laughs> yeah. time, you know? Um, cause I'd been through so much. And, um, so I started looking into all of that. And, um, so I, I got really into it for a while mm-hmm. and read about it a lot and listened to a lot of, um, like Dharma talks and read, you know, as many books as I could find on it and listen to lectures and podcasts and all that. Mm-hmm. 
and um, it really changed my life. Yeah, it really, really did. And so um, I wouldn't say that I think about it as much now on a regular basis, mm -hmm. but because I was so steeped in it for a while, yeah. it kind of changed the way that my brain functions. Yeah, yeah. And so I still live by a lot mm -hmm. of those ideas. Yeah. Um, even though I'm not like sitting in meditation every day and mm. all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. No, that's exactly how I want the, the question answered is like <laughs> <Okay>. this <laughs> rambling story about <laughs> things and how you got there. Yeah. Like, I don't want people to just tell me like, Oh, I'm this. And then that's it. Like the that's end. exactly how yeah. I want it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your definition of God? If God, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I think that's a really good question <laughs> because a lot of the times the question you get is, do you believe in God? Yeah. And I think that's not a very good question. Yeah. Be I've refined it over time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to me, the question, the question should start with what is your definition? If there is mm -hmm. one, what, how would you define it? Yeah. Because for some people, um, say, do you believe in God? Well, like what image Which of God? One? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's a good question. Um, my definition. <clears throat> um, I don't know. It's not something that I really fret about. Cool. <laughs> um, I don't like in my gut, I don't think I really care if mm -hmm. like a God exists or yeah. not, or what it is. If <laughs> there is one. Um, but just my kind of analytical mind would say, hmm. if I were to define what God is, if there yeah. is one, maybe just energy. Sure. Because everything is yeah. energy. Yeah. So, and it can't be mm -hmm. created or destroyed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, once you break it down. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's kind of a, feels like a cop-out answer, but. No, but it is an answer. <laughs> it is your true. answer. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then another difficult one. Mm -hmm. And I need to find a way of asking it in mm -hmm. a, a not yes or no way, but is okay. free will an illusion? Mm. How? <laughs> I think that I don't know. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, everything is so um, interconnected mm -hmm. that it's hard to say what we choose and what we don't choose. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, like, Oh, let's say a fish swimming in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, it's easy to imagine. Um, how much of what the fish does is up to the fish, you yeah. know, because the whole ocean is like waving around the fish. Yeah. Right. So, um, it's, I think everything exists kind of in that yeah. state where we're just kind of like swept up in waves this way and that way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I guess there's just no way to really sort it out. Sure. <laughs> maybe in some ways it's an illusion and who knows, maybe yeah. we can, I don't know. Break out. Break out, <laughs> swim against the current sure. to go along with the metaphor. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I appreciate the I don't knows. Um, Good. <laughs> I have a lot of those. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, so then with the, I guess, non-traditional forms of uh, deities and decisions, then how do you determine what good behavior is? Mm. And I fully acknowledge the difficulty of the questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, the simple answer is the golden rule basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, in my own life, I try to, um, I don't, I don't even know if I would say I try to, it's just mm -hmm. the, where I always start, Sure, you know, mm -hmm. with 
trying to see a situation from as many angles as possible. Yeah. And I choose the thing that makes me feel most at peace. Yeah. And so that to me is how I decide mm-hmm. what is right or wrong. Yeah. And sometimes along the way, getting to peace can create some conflict mm-hmm. and some upset and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's how I make most of my decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the little ones, like, yeah. you know, what I eat mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, how I interact with people, even if I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just what, what makes me feel good? What do I think would create some peace or positive energy just yeah. so that it's really selfish. So I don't have to carry around the guilt, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah. anyway, I, for me, that's the answer. Yeah. Just what makes me feel most at peace. Sure. So, yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> um, how do we reduce the division? I'm also realizing, well, over time, I'm kind of realizing that the question is predicated on the fact that maybe you want to reduce the division, mm. mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that's the assumption in the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that getting people somehow to interact with and spend time with people outside of one's own bubble yeah. is the quickest way to that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we are in so many ways, mm-hmm. as cliche as it sounds, we're all very similar, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I have many family members that, you know, if we were to only know each other in online forums and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, we would have very little in common, yeah. you know? Um, but when we're together and we're talking about the things that we do have in common, yeah, it's really easy to get along and be happy, you yeah. know? So, um, I think that if people, if anyone listening to this wants to feel like they're helping to make some progress mm-hmm. in that area, then we need to find ways to interact with people that we wouldn't normally run into in our daily lives. So, um, whatever way you would choose to do that. Um, so that's my answer. I like that a lot. (laughs) Because the closer you are with people, if you're face to face, Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to feel separate. Yeah. You know, (laughs) so, um, okay. What are you optimistic about? For our future or the future. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, when it comes to questions like this, um, I guess it maybe depends on what my state of mind that day. (laughs) I don't know. I have days when I think, um, kind of, I have kind of a fatalistic point of view, Mm. Where I'm like, let's just watch this mother burn. Yeah. You know, like (laughs) I don't really have much hope about things. Mm. But I, because of my um, Buddhist perspective, Mm -hmm. I can, I can uh, have a sense of peace about that at the same time. Sure. Which sounds a little messed up if you don't know much about it. (laughs) Um, But it's just kind of accepting things as they are Mm -hmm. and trusting the big uh, cycles in existence, yeah. which is, you know, it's the pendulum swinging back mm-hmm. and forth, right? Things are going to be really not great for a while. And then things are going to swing back the other way and feel really amazing. And, you know, mm. and that could be on a social level that could be, um, I don't know if you're looking at the stock market, it could be on a <laughs> sure. financial level, it yeah. could be, um, on an environmental level or a cosmic mm-hmm. level, yeah. right? Things are created and destroyed. It's mm-hmm. the cycle yeah. of mm-hmm. energy existing and changing shape. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm not like a shoot for the stars and hope for 
happiness <laughs> in the future. Sure. You know, I'm just like, things are what they are. Mm -hmm. And, um, if I am not contributing as far as I can see to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to the negativity, mm -hmm. um, that's like the best I can do because, yeah. you know, I can't change the state of things, um, personally. So, um, but just like on a day to day kind of like, uh, smaller scale, uh, basis, mm -hmm. I, you know, am optimistic for yeah. little <laughs> things, you sure. know? Um, but on a grand scale, I don't know. It's kind of, I'm, what's the word? <laughs> uh, I can't think of the word right now. Um, but I'm just like, it is what it is, Yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, which kind of goes into this next question. What makes you content? Well, as I mentioned before, <laughs> I really like to struggle and suffer. <laughs> <laughs> um, what makes me content? Um, I would again kind of relate this to my Buddhist perspective, um, which is to do my best to experience hmm. things <laughs> as they are when they are. Yeah. Um, whether it's a, you know, a good day or a bad day or the weather's nice or it's not or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to take moments here and there when yeah. I just stop and notice what's happening mm -hmm. or, um, try to really enjoy the, the taste of my food Yeah, at mm -hmm. a meal, you mm -hmm. know, um, the, the little pleasures for lack of a better way of, of putting it, um, yeah. those make me content. Mm -hmm. I'm, um, I'm kind of a minimalist. Mm. And so I keep things as simple as possible yeah. in my daily life. Mm -hmm. Um, hence my shaved head. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, I have like, uh, kind of a method or a system for everything mm -hmm. so that things are streamlined as much as they can be. Yeah. And so keeping things simple makes me happy. Mm -hmm. So if you come to my house, I don't have a lot of stuff mm -hmm. in my house. Um, um, my office right now is a different story. It's kind of a lot of papers around, but <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, simplicity makes me happy and just trying to experience, you know, mm -hmm. the present moment as it's happening yeah. and, um, feel gratitude when I can. And, mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in the interest of time, skip to the last two questions. Okay. Uh, first, what advice do you have for people in general? In general, I really don't know what to say about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe just like everybody just calm down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just calm down. I've gotten that one before. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not the only one who's thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like take it easy. You know, we're all <laughs> going to you know, explode in flames or whatever eventually <laughs> anyway. So it's just like, try to enjoy the ride while it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then most importantly, mm -hmm. cake or pie? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I don't really have much of a sweet tooth. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i really like salty foods cool <laughs> i don't know what would be the i mean there are savory pies so that's true yeah. then pie yeah sure <laughs> i don't know of any savory cakes so good point sorry cake you, you lost that one pie yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you for doing this with me thank you <laughs> um normally people have stuff to plug but like where can we find you and your things um well I'm at UCO most of the time, um, teaching and doing all the things I was talking about earlier. Um, I play with the Tulsa Symphony and the Tulsa Opera and the ballet on occasion. I'm a substitute with those ensembles, so it's mm. not regular. Um, 
So the next thing I'm doing with Tulsa Symphony is Star Wars Episode Four. Cool. Uh, March 14th, I think. Uh, but I think it's already sold out anyway. So yeah. Um, so that's that. <laughs> so we're gonna play the, the orchestra is gonna play the soundtrack while the yeah. the film plays. Um, those are always really popular. Yeah. I'm playing Rite of Spring uh, with the <laughs> Oklahoma City Philharmonic yeah. in April, and uh, that will be exciting and terrifying. I'm that sure. That was the one I had in mind whenever I said non-Christian things happening in classical yeah, music. Yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a very good example. Um, personally, I have a YouTube channel that's kind of in its beginning stages under, uh, Dr. Katie Bramlett is mm-hmm. the name of, of my channel. I've posted some ear training videos and some songs I've written and some random oboe read making stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm on Instagram as Dr. Hotboy is <laughs> 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 the, uh, American pronunciation, um, uh, so D R H A U T B O I and Obois is the French word for oboe. Uh, so it's kind of a play on words. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's where I post oboe specific stuff. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, thank you. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Katie Bramlett. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. I have singer songwriter stuff, composer stuff, power cycle stuff. Uh, Power Cycle is a experimental electronic trio that I'm in with Jonathan Edwards and Breck McGough. And we have an album that is out streaming everywhere. It's called Too Many Damn Cables. Um, and I it's kind of soon to be promoting this gig, but I've been promoting it anyways. I'm doing a jazz set at Saint Sessions on May 7th, and I'm having... Uh, Opaque play with me, uh, who is a funk fusion ensemble um, that I know through UCO. So, um, and Nelson Gonzalez, who was just on the podcast, will be playing bass on that. Um, yeah, I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.